Sales Paradise, Episode 24. On today's Sales Rep Spotlight episode, we have Vinny Saunders dropping by. We're going to learn about the fitness equipment industry and also we'll learn about what it's like to sell in the New York area. This is Sales Paradise. Now here's your host, our dad, Chandler Barron. <laughs> Vinny, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me today. All right, well, let's go ahead and jump in. Uh, go ahead and tell the audience, you know, what you sell and uh, what your call point is. Yeah, absolutely. So I work for a company called Matrix Fitness. We're a global brand. Uh, we're a manufacturer of fitness equipment. We have over 400 different product SKUs. Every single piece of cardio you think of training on, every single piece of strength you can think of training on, racks, platforms, circuit lines, we have it. Um, I particularly work with the vertical markets, which would be multifamily housing, student housing, and hospitality. And my specific uh, geographic territory would be the New York metro area. So do you mostly commute by car? Yeah, so I live on Long Island, which is not the closest to, uh, to New York City. I'm about 45 miles outside of the city. Uh, but I also cover the, the island and, and some of the boroughs as well. Um, but typically for me in, in a sales day, I will use the car or I will use the train and train into the city and then bounce around on subways or taxis or Ubers around there. It really just depends on the time of the day that I'm leaving and what's going to be more convenient. Um, a lot of the days if I'm heading in for a full day and it's really that nine to five, then I will rely on the train. But some of the days I'll be able to flex that and my meetings won't start till 12 o'clock or one o'clock early afternoon, but then they will go later. And on days like that, I'll try to drive in because I can miss those peak times um, and minimize the time in the car. And then I can also get out of the city when I want to instead of relying on that late night train schedule. But for me, being on the train isn't bad at all because it's a mobile office. If I'm not driving, I can have the hotspot out on my phone and have my laptop out and I'm working the whole way in and the whole way out. So it is kind of preferred for me to be on the train so I'm not driving. And that way, uh, it's just less to catch up on when I get back to the office. So with you riding on the train, do you have to lug around any marketing material or are you guys pretty much all digital? You know, honestly, it used to be like that. And we've moved over to a complete digital solution now. So even uh, we, like I mentioned, we have over 400 different product SKUs. So we used to have a separate catalog for cardio and a separate catalog for strength. And they were both massive. Um, and they were also a massive expense on the company. And going into 2019, we moved that over to a completely digital platform. So now it's literally looks like a business card and it could, it's literally just a, uh, a hardwired disc of our entire catalog. Oh, wow. So I could keep a couple of those in the back, in my backpack or, or uh, you know, my briefcase, nice and slim or stick one in my pocket on the way to a meeting. And it's got my contact info printed on it, just like a business card. And I can leave that for somebody and it'll, they can open it up, stick that into their computer and pull up every product we have. Nice. Well, with this type of sale, um, how did the sales reps typically dress? What would be, uh, I guess, the attire? Uh, so it's it's definitely not the fitness outfit. Um, that that might work really well for half of my company that deals with the commercial market. So just to explain that, like our whole industry is on the sales side is split in two. 
So one would be that commercial side of the industry. That's everything with a, a dues paying facility like the Gold's Gyms, the New York Sports Clubs, the Lifetimes, the Equinoxes. And then everything else would be the vertical side, which I do is that multifamily hospitality side. So it depends on the meeting. Um, there could be a casual day where I'm doing a lot of field visits, um, walking into new, new construction and stuff like that. It'll be um, a polo style shirt, uh, short sleeve or jeans. Um, might also have a, a hard hat in my bag and a, and a pair of steel toe boots, or I can have days where it's developer meetings and I will wear basically uh, a suit, <clears throat> a suit without the tie. Yeah. And it's great because, you, you know, once you establish that relationship with a client, then you kind of just dress how the client's in a dress. And most of the time uh, on the developer side, it's business casual. All right. Well, cool. Well, let's go ahead and um, get into how you got into the sports product industry. Yeah, sure. So, I had put myself through college over the course of my entire 20s. Um, I had finished my bachelor's degree mostly at, at night. Um, uh, got my accounting degree from Hofstra University, finished in 2007. Um, I was coming out into probably the worst economy that we've had in the last 20 to 50 years. Um, so my job at the accounting uh, firm got delayed several different times and finally started in early 2008. Um, and basically we walk in and they were laying people off left and right anyway. We were supposed to have a starting class of 60. It eventually was a starting class of 20 and they only needed five. So before the end of that uh, 2008 tax season, they had basically laid off more than 75% of the company. I was one of the last ones to go at the end of the tax season. There was no work. And, uh, and I was out, um, out of a job, which was kind of unusual for me having uh, lived on my own and worked uh, at least two jobs, if not three, since the time I was 20. So now from going from two or three jobs and working seven days a week, um, every Friday, Saturday night uh, to get myself through college and, and live on my own to now having one job to that to none, it was pretty big shock. Um, so then how I got my start into this industry was I, I kind of fell into it. Um, I had just started dating my wife at the time. Uh, we knew each other for a few years, but hadn't dated. Um, her father um, owned one of the owned the first company that I uh, started working with, and he approached me and said, "Hey, look, I, I heard you're out of a job, looking for a job right now. Why don't you come work with me over here? Because I'm looking for another rep." And I was really reluctant to do so. I had never done sales before. I had just spent a lot of time and effort heading in one direction to finish my degree in accounting, and kind of wanted to go pursue that. And I didn't want to just change directions just because I had a speed bump. So I relayed that to him and he was very understanding. And, um, I kept, you know, trying to fill out applications and try to get, um, interviews and that kind of thing. And, and there was none, there was nothing that there's nothing going on in the financial industry, especially in accounting, um, even more so in my particular niche that I came out into, which was hedge fund tax. And after like the Bernie Madoff scandal, that was just hedge funds oh, were yeah. condensing to say the least. Um, a few weeks later, he approached me again about it, and, I, and he said, hey, look, you know, just come try this. It's something new. It's something I'm doing in the meantime, and if you need any time off to go do anything related to the accounting field, just go do it. So uh, my options were really low at the time, and I said, yeah, let's, let's do it. Um, so I started with him, and I uh, started doing ride-alongs with him and working on some of the markets originally that he wanted me to go in touch with. And um, he was more old school where he wanted me to get out there and, uh, and cold call uh, business after business and just walk in and stuff like that. And I was like, oh man, this is, can't be the way they're doing it in 2008 or they're just going to burn through people left and right. So I, I dived into, um, 
exactly what you would think someone would do in 2008 to learn something new. I dived into YouTube and Google searches and audio books and podcasts and found some really good early mentors and read a lot of books and listened to a lot of podcasts um, and kind of tried to find the best philosophies that I felt could, would help me out and, uh, and really started making a lot of great progress. And within three or four months, just kind of realized it was a much better fit for my personality than sitting behind a desk crunching numbers and never look back. So when you got into the industry, were, the, were you already physically fit? Yeah, so I had, I've always worked out kind of funny like that. I've always been into fitness. I've always kind of used my fitness level to get myself into whatever I wanted to do, whatever interested in me. So I was always in, you know, I played year-round sports as a kid. I played football, wrestling, and lacrosse. Um, I was never one of the biggest kids, so I was always the third or fourth string. I probably graduated high school at 140 pounds, so, you know, so I was a little, little guy <laughs> back then. Um, and then when I got into my 20s, I started working out more. Um, I found out about Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, so I started doing Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu um, over in Huntington, New York with Matt Serra's camp. Then I um, really got really interested in uh, Muay Thai and boxing. So I, I transferred over to uh, Ray Longo's Academy, did boxing Muay Thai, and just had so much fun. In my early 20s, I raced motocross because it was just something I always wanted to do as a kid. So I got into that in my 20s. Um, really just whatever I wanted to do. I was just so interested. In it. I'm like, let me just do it, you know? Um, in my 30s, I got into I got into CrossFit and hung with that for a couple of years. It was it was awesome, and only stopped that when I started having kids. So, well, what I find interesting is um, even at the time you were really interested in fitness, and when it was first mentioned to you, you still had some resistance. Why was that? Was it because you had already studied you know another area? It was definitely that, definitely because I just spent so much time and energy focusing on on in one direction, and the other one was because I had absolutely no sales experience and didn't consider myself a salesman. So I was like, ah, I don't think I'll make any headway over there. I didn't really see myself as the persuasive type or, or I think my mentality towards sales at that time was that salesmen were, were very abrasive. Well, that's what I want to dig into then. Well, what was your opinion of either a sales rep or what it would take to be successful in sales? And then how did that change once you got into it? One of the reasons I probably hes hesitated the most was my earliest images of what a sales guy was and has nothing to do on what my, what, you know, my father-in-law was because I'm one of the nicest guys in the world. Um, but I guess one of, I had this preconceived notion that I was just going to have to be like this kind of, this kind of shark and be abrasive and be, you know, kind of put pressure behind things and stuff like that. Um, and then the more I dived into kind of best practices or, and follow successful people, um, and that's how I realized that sales is really more focused on relationships, which is great because especially early on, I mentioned our industry is split into two with commercial and vertical sides. But early on, when I started 12 years ago, uh, it was not. And you were, I was able to actually get a, um, a chance to experience sales on both sides, both in the commercial and the vertical side. And I chose to be on the vertical side because I felt that's where I could really build value. I felt that the commercial guys, when you dealt with those gym owners and those big box owners, I felt that it was really just a race to the bottom. I felt that there was no way to build relationships or build value there. I feel, felt that they were just going to call in every single one of their competitors and see who could drop their pants the furthest. It was just a race to the bottom. And it wasn't a kind of conversation I wanted to be in at any time. You know? Now, my projects are typically 
12 months to 24 months and anywhere in between, I've never walked in a room and sold anything. Most of the times when I walk into even meet a developer, we don't even talk about product. It's literally just getting to know them, getting them to know you. Um, I really, they have to get, they have to get comfortable with you. Then they have to get comfortable with your company and then the products will just fall into place. But everything's now on the vertical side. It's all about relationships. Well, that's awesome. Well, let's go ahead and for everyone listening in your industry or your company, let's define what the difference is between the um, commercial and the vertical side. So that com commercial side would be a dues paying facility. Vertical side would be everything else. So examples of that commercial side would be like a lifetime fitness, New York sports club, uh, Equinox, something like that. Right. Um, yeah. and the vertical market examples would be multifamily housing, the fitness amenity space in those buildings, student housing, and fitness amenity spaces in hospitality hotels. Oh, okay. Well, you also mentioned about doing a lot of self-study, you know, as far as listening to um, YouTube videos and, and podcasts. So how did that actually help you, I guess, transition from either uh, the old way of selling to something that you found you know, really exciting and new? I think one of the biggest things was finding time value of money. Um, you know, the penetration rate when you sit there and do cold calling is absolutely awful. I mean, it's, it's, it's gotta be single digits. It's, it's just the worst method in, in the world. You know, I would cover both markets back then. I also covered physical, physical therapy sales and they were always trying to uh, get you to make more physical therapy sales because the margin was so much better there, but you couldn't cold call, a physical therapy place because the, the owners either weren't there or they were hands-on with a patient. They're not coming to, out to see you in the lobby. And most of their uh, orders were going through a some kind of catalog online system, you know? So it was very difficult. So when you mentioned code calling, was all of that over the phone or was that in person? Most of that back then was in person. Wow, now, yeah. now I might do a good deal of, of calling over the phone uh, to set up initial meetings or at least a, a quick exchange with someone. But it's always to try to set up a meeting and, and discuss a, an ongoing project or to set up a meeting over, over coffee to get to know each other or something like that. So it's back then it was a, when I first started, still had that very transactional kind of mindset. Like I have, yeah. to, get in, I have to make this sale. Whereas now it's like, oh, just people just got to get to know me. And that sale will happen eventually over time, just naturally fall into it. So how long is a typical sales cycle for your projects? It depends on every project, but I would say that average would be 12 months and the sweet spot is anywhere between six months to 18 months. It really just depends. And the, I mean, the best is I'll get the developers. Will they will they say, Hey Vin, here's the white box. Do, do whatever you want to do, design it. You know, we're, this is the tier we're shooting for. We want to be the absolutely best in the industry. And I give it back to them and they're pre-dev. They move into CDs and they give me the purchase order uh, and they say, call me in two years. I mean, like that's, that's awesome. Right. And then there's everywhere in between to the, to the guy that calls you and says, Oh, uh, I need this right away. How fast can you get it here? You know? So it's, it's totally anywhere in between. Um, but in, in my market, it's typically that six months to 18 months. Yeah. Well, I have a product idea for you. You can give me your professional opinion. You know how typically the treadmills have, you know, tablet for you to watch um, you know, movie or TV. Uh, what I want to do is actually also include a, a, a popcorn maker and a nice comfy chair. Uh, what are your thoughts? Yeah. Um, yeah, so. 
That's but a- so you, you just got to find what's work, what works. Yeah. <laughs> some people do better with the carrot and some people do better with the stick, right? I guess that's <laughs> everybody. So like for me, if you had like a, if you dangled a cookie out in the front of that treadmill, I'd probably run a little faster. <laughs> I've actually seen a, uh, <laughs> a, a tread desk, but you're seated. Oh, really? So kind of just like scrolling oh, your feet yeah. like underneath. I'm like, you can't even be burning like five calories an hour. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And even though the concept, I'm sure is where you're doing more than you normally would be doing. Um, yeah, it's crazy. But well, tell me this, what would be some of the, the, the products that you have um, that, that are pretty cool that you guys sell? Oh, I mean, so on all of our cardio, we, we have, we worked with um, an amazing guy named Phil Campbell. And he's an insane coach for professional athletes and Olympic athletes. And he worked with Matrix to, to design a program called Sprint 8. Sprint 8 is an insane program. It's taken the hardest cardio you can imagine doing, condensing it into eight manageable segments uh, and getting the whole thing done in 20 minutes. So it's going to be oh, wow. a three-minute warm-up. It's going to be eight 30-second long uh, all-out sprints. And then each sprint's going to be followed by 90 seconds of active recovery. So basically walking, right? And then at the end, you're going to have a two and a half minute cool down. And that bookend, bookend, that's, that's 20 minutes. The kick in the butt is every single one of those sprints is going to be at an incline. And every single one of those sprints is going to get your heart rate jacked up. And that program is so effective at keeping you in shape, getting you used to, getting you comfortable with being uncomfortable and, and, decreasing your max heart rate over time, which would give you a younger heart. And all of our uh, commercial grade equipment has that program built in. So oh, really? Yeah. So that, I mean, that's, that's probably my favorite component about it because I'm so passionate about that, about staying functional, about being in my, in the best shape possible. And, you know, I, I love the MMA, the boxing, you know, all that kind of, brutal workouts, um, any kind of run. I always, I always want to run faster. I want to run, take less time to run that three mile race or that 5k or that 10k or whatever. And that's all about getting comfortable with the uncomfortable and being able to push yourself further and further into that red line and then hold that red line longer and being able to do that with something measurable, like the sprint eight program makes a difference. You could see the difference and there's about 20 different levels in that program all the way from beginner to elite and then you could even customize it so you could really see exactly where you fall in make measured progress over time and then literally watch your heart rate go down week by week with these work rate, with these workouts oh yeah that'd be great to be able to actually try out your own products well you know um i guess uh jumping ahead on this then uh what would you think would be uh, some of the reasons for your success uh, would it be just passion in what you're doing or, or there other things? I think the biggest thing I, I would, I would tell anybody, um, the biggest thing that, that made a difference in my success was to never stop learning and have the mentality that I, I'll never know anything. You know, like I, I always want to be learning. Um, whether it's listening to an audiobook in the car or listening to a podcast, you know, in the morning in the gym, you know, like I, I don't even listen to music anymore in the gym. I'll, I'll, it'll either be an audio book or a podcast or somebody, some kind of, some kind of sales training. Um, I've listened to a lot of Grant Cardone. He has fantastic sales training. And it's just about 
that mentality that I always want to be learning. I always want to be providing more, more value. And that I think that I can always continually be better than I was yesterday. And I always want to be the better, the best, better. I always want to be the best. Um, and to do that, I can't just say, Oh, I know everything now and I have to go out and execute. I, I have to continually execute, but always continue to be better than my, than the, than the Vinny I was yesterday. Oh yeah. That's a great benchmark there. Well, let's go ahead and go to the lightning round. We've got quick questions, quick answers. Cool. All right. So, um, is there a book you'd like to recommend people read? Be Obsessed or Be Average by Grant Cardone. Awesome. Okay. Full of inspiration. Awesome. So what's something you've purchased that's helped you become more productive? Um, it's a double, two monitors, because it's so much more efficient to have two massive monitors and just be able to work back and forth like that. I can understand that. Well, uh, if someone is um, in uh, either New York City or maybe let's just go with Long Island, what's a restaurant that they should make sure they do not miss? On Long Island, close to us, there's a fantastic place my wife and I love to go uh, right around town called The Chop Shop. It's a great environment for a date. Um, in the city, there's so many. Um, yeah. Del Frisco's is awesome. Um, love going there always going to be like phenomenal service and, and stuff like that. And the food's just awesome. Fantastic steak. All right. Well, is there any uh, particular charity that's close to your heart? Yeah. So uh, one thing a lot of people don't know about uh, us is two of our kids are on the, the spectrum on the autism spectrum. So um, we try to participate in as many charities that have to do with autism fundraising as we can. And we even um, typically will hold one ourselves in April, which is autism aware and awareness month. Oh, yeah, we'll make sure to put the Autism Speaks uh, link in our uh, call notes. Well, Vinny, man, just thanks so much for joining us here on Sales Paradise. And um, it's just been great talking to you.